podcast with James and Jane. Hi, this is James. Just before we start, I wanted to remind you that you can read our articles, explore more podcasts, and learn about our online personal and management development programs and workshops by visiting our website, www.worldofwork.io. All right, on to the podcast. Hello, this is James. And Jane. And here we are again with another episode of the World of Work podcast. What are we doing today, Jane? Well, you say another episode. It is absolutely another episode, but it's a little bit different from the norm. Um, we've decided to take a, a, a short, very short break Ooh. in between our episodes that uh, make up series two. And we've decided to look around us in the world and notice there's a few things going on Ooh. and that maybe there's some lessons that we could learn as organisations um, and as people in work. So those of you who are living in places like New Zealand, Australia, uh, America, the UK will know that the political climate is very complex at the moment and I think that's true for a lot of the world Um, particularly here in the UK we are knee deep in Brexit so for those of you who uh, aren't aware quite unusually we're recording this uh, very close to when we're we're, uh, releasing it so we are currently uh, last night was a major vote uh, that yet again didn't go through and the country is pretty much um, occupied certainly at a political point of view and change point of view by the negotiation of the Brexit exit. And so I think it's it's occupied a lot of conversations in the workplace. I think it's divided a lot of people, certainly has in my family and, and a, a, around the people I know. And I guess the conversation we keep having, James, you and I, when we talk about it is, yeah, but what are we learning from it? What are we taking from this whole period? So we thought it would be an interesting idea to kind of stop, look around, watch what's happening with our kind of organizational psychology organizational development heads on and say you know as a process what can we take from it and is there things going on in the world that are trying to address some of the challenges around uh change in examples like brexit and maybe we can help people think about it a bit differently so today we thought it'd be really interesting to think about um, the concept of division and how Uh, particularly uh, there are organizations and people around the world trying to uh, manage different approaches in bringing unity after division and so James done some great research and identified three real world examples of organizations or people trying to affect that change right right now or recently and then we're gonna have a little bit of conversation about them and maybe maybe have a think about how they might uh, be applicable to the workforce and that might be because of you have an actual division in your company around Brexit, or it might be something that's nothing to do with Brexit. It might just be about division. Um, but I think there's lots of really interesting things around the concept of overcoming tribalism, uh, how you heal rifts in organisations. Um, I think one of the classics is in mergers, where you see two organisations to yeah, come together. Absolutely. And how do you move an organisation forward? So there's lots of things that we yeah. can talk about. We just thought it'd be really fun and interesting. Um and I think we should probably caveat it right now with neither of us are political commentators. Absolutely not. We're not looking at this from a Brexit point of view per se. This is about what we as as organisation people can learn from what's going on in yeah, the country. Yeah, absolutely. It's not, a, it's not a political conversation. Yeah, it really isn't. I'm, I'm really done with those, yeah, quite frankly. Yeah. Nothing to do with politics, but learning, learning some of... Uh... Um, learning from what's going on in the political climate as opposed to having any sort of interaction with yeah. that political climate. And it does mean we have a totally different structure, as James alluded to. So there won't be any uh, 
any of the sort of more detailed lists of the week. We're, we're going to take a break from Lesson to Keep. We're going to say we're just going to look at these three real world uh, situations and have a bit of a chat about them and see what you think. Cool. All right, let's do that in just a second. But before we do, where can people check us out? Where so as always, the one thing that is true is that we will have uh, a page on the website yep. dedicated to the episode with a bit more information and you can get there at www.thewowpodcast.org. Um, you can also sign up for Wow Mail and we'll be doing a mailing as always alongside the episode. Yeah. And where else can they find us? So Twitter, we like Twitter. Oh, like, I love yes, Twitter at the moment. They do, yeah, we love it. There's lots of good stuff going on there. So we are at the Wow Podcast. You can get us there. And we're on Instagram, Facebook. We've got a page on LinkedIn, all that kind of we stuff. Do. So. My, my absolute favourite, I have to just say on Twitter, oh, my yeah. absolute favourite was Sophie who is oh, listening yeah. to us and she was uh, listening to us while she's got a new job. And she tweeted us yesterday to say she'd been to her first ever huddle because her new cool organisation does half-time huddles. Half-time huddles. I half-time really huddles cool. is like my favourite. Yeah. So. Um, and actually, yesterday we also had a lovely tweet um, about the huddles with was it Sean the Sheep doing huddles? Oh, I love animation so if you, from Odin. If Odin. you like a if you like a gif or a gif gif gif, I'd go gif. I'd go but... gif. If you like a gif. Then um, there is a classic one on our feed, um, which is basically a bunch of sheep doing a huddle. Oh, it's great. It's which great. is my favourite, my really favourite, made... probably topping my favourite tweet so far. Yeah, it made me smile. Anyway, on to, on to the subject at hand. Things civil society does to bring divided groups together. What did you find, James? Yeah, so, so I, I looked around to try and find some ideas from around the world as to how different groups um, heal the rift or bring divided groups together or overcome adversity and diversity and things like that. Um, and I've identified three things. And what I wanted to do is I just wanted to go through each of them with you um, and tell you what I'd seen, um, read uh, read out a few things to you, share a little bit of what I've learned, and then try and see, Jane, if you've got any thoughts on how we can learn from that, what the actual lessons are. So I've got three things. One is a, a fairly old report now from a UK uh, charitable organisation or, or charitable funder called New Philanthropy Capital. And they did a report in 2004 um, focusing on young people in divided communities and, and how you can kind of bring together young people in divided communities. I think there's some interesting stuff there. Uh, the next thing I've got is um, by an American uh, psychologist called Tom Wolfe, who's worked a lot at um, bringing communities together after divisive projects in local areas and things like that. Um, and he has done some stuff on the power of collaborative solutions, uh, which is again about bringing people together. I think there's some interesting things there. And then the third thing is a, a contemporary American uh, organization called Better Angels, which focuses on bringing together divided um, groups of uh, Republicans and Democrats in the U.S. And the name Better Angels actually comes from a, um, a, a famous speech from Abraham Lincoln at, in the lead into the um, American uh, Civil War. So that's where the name comes from. Um, so let's jump into it. Should I start off with the first one and tell you about the first report? Yeah, talk us through the NPC report because <clears> I think it's really interesting. Okay, cool. So if we look at the NPC report, um, what we can see is that they, they call out uh, in their work that there are three broad areas that they think about as being important for helping to bring together young people in divided communities. And these three areas of focus, they're sort of intervention types, loosely speaking, to use that language from a behavior change perspective. Um, they all uh, sort of complement and work together as a program of initiatives that help um, try and create opportunities for young people to, to come together and have a, a more healed and unified approach to things. And what they call out are three different things. 
They call out shared space as a key, key piece of this. They call out leadership as another key piece. And then they call out training, right? So they're kind of like three basic things, um, but those are the areas that they choose to focus on. And I think these are kind of interesting. So if we look at shared space, what they say is that shared spaces, uh, creating opportunities for people to have shared spaces is a really important thing. So they, they through shared space, aim to help young people create commonality of things like understanding of culture so they can understand each other's cultures, helps them identify um, uh, not just cultures, but also you know backgrounds. It helps them understand their ways of doing things. Um, and, and through that, the view is that that shared space brings people together and, and creates a sense of unity. And again, this is very much about learning about the other people that you're with. So some of those shared spaces focus on things like sports, potentially, or things like youth centers, and, and they can have a structured uh, structured purpose to the spaces, but fundamentally it's about creating that sort of physical environment that lets people come together and using that environment to bring people together so that they can have um, an opportunity to build bonds. So that's the shared space piece. Uh, the next pillar of their work was around leadership. And there are a couple things in here that were really important, but one that really stood out for me is that they said that leadership in this context should make sure or should aim to be representative of the communities that are within that divided area, right? So, so it's really important that your leadership brings together a range of people from a range of areas so that it feels representative um, and that kind of everybody has a voice in leadership. That feels really important for um, this, this paper in terms of healing division. Um, and another thing that's called out from a leadership perspective is that leadership should have a focus or a goal to drive towards increased understanding within the community. So that should actually be a leadership priority within itself. And then the last thing that they call out is around training. And here they, they identify a few different things in this context around young people in divided communities. And they talk about developing training for understanding of flashpoints. So, you know, so what are the, the instances and events that lead to sort of conflict or, um, or challenge in the environment? Another piece around understanding the choices and how people go around making choices. Um, training on responsibility, training on conflict. Um, and they actually called out things like training on understanding opinions and also a little bit on things like reparations. Um, so there's some interesting and fairly specific things in there to do with training. Um, and there, there are the three things that I kind of pulled out as high level key points from this report. So fundamentally, they talk about working on shared spaces to bring people together in, working on improving leadership so that it's representative and that it focuses on increased understanding and introducing training so that you can address some of the areas that lead to conflict within divided communities and help people overcome them. So for me, that's for the NPC report. What do you think? Uh, I'm totally biased because I love the NPC. Okay. Um, those of you who aren't familiar with it as an organisation, they do really amazing work uh, helping the charity sector in Britain to uh, do better to do their work better, to manage their impact better, to explain outcomes better. Lots of things they do really, really well. Um, so I'm obviously biased. It's quite an old report. And yeah. I think probably there's a significant amount in what you've said that is now kind of accepted. Okay. Um, but I think there's some stuff very specifically thinking with my organisation hat on that's really important. Yeah. So um, when you think about shared spaces, community leadership, training and conflict resolution and that concept, those three things that they're trying to call out, um, I can see 
in real world examples and organizations where they don't exist you create challenge yeah so we consistently talk about remote working yeah. and this concept of people feeling isolated away from it mm-hmm. and i think shared space and the particularly the things they're talking about which is giving people the opportunity to understand their culture their identity and um giving them a a, a place-based experience yeah. is really important yeah and i think that's why when people people are really short-sighted when they think oh we won't host people in a central office because mm-hmm. it's going to save money yeah yeah right no spend the money bringing those people together in different ways yeah um because you have to do that that's how you create uh, relations and if you don't that's how split things yeah also you're never going to get over it right if things are divis- divisive you're never going to get over it if you don't bring people together and i think that's why although it's very uncomfortable when you get mergers they quite often will force organizations to rather than have one floor each or whatever they will push them together Um, for me probably the most important things to take out of this are around representative leadership yeah because I think um, it it applies to to inclusion it applies to so many issues yeah you know it is not about having a representative workforce it is about having a representative workforce of your community that also is led by a representative group yeah and it is one of the problems so it's really interesting there was a, a discussion on twitter about why do we have non-diverse boards and charities for example uh-huh. uh, and and you know everyone was like well, well why don't we and i part part of the reason is because we because we don't do it i mean you really want to do it you do it you just appoint someone yeah um and you hear a lot of you know the bottom line is what you're saying for example when you don't when you don't appoint someone from emergent organization onto a board yeah is we're not really merging we're owning yes right? absolutely and it's the same if you have two youth groups that merge together or it's the same if you have uh and I, I, you know the brexit connotation would be if you fill your cabinet with leavers yeah. or remainers one way or the other yeah what you are saying is we are not coming together we mm-hmm. are ruling yeah and that's not particularly what happened supposedly but certainly that that sense of where is our voice in this yeah. is really important if you're going to bring people together and get over it. Yeah. And for me, the training bit's super important. Um, it is not easy to get over division. And um, having some actual training and, and developing your skills in being comfortable with difference yeah. is super important and understanding where that might flare up. Yeah. So I, I'm really uncomfortable when people try and say that unity or re-establishment of relationships after a division is about changing people's minds or everyone consensus. It's just not. That's not what it is to me. What it is is making people comfortable with being different and having different opinions. Yeah. And that being okay and managing that within the workforce. Um, and I think if I was going to pick out one challenge that is going to come out of Brexit for organisations, whatever happens, you will have people in your organisation on both sides. Yeah. And whatever happens from Brexit someone's not going to be happy and actually it is a sensitive complex issue and the idea that whether we whether we leave next week two weeks time or not happens is the end of it it's just the beginning because either way that we're going to be living with someone not getting what they want and you know to me that's no different to organizations that have employees who have launched action against their employers and it's done who picks up the pieces afterwards? Yeah. Right? Because they don't, really. It's horrible and it's uncomfortable and no one wants to talk to anyone. So for me, that's uh, it's a really interesting model and I think there's a lot that can be learned. And, and my, my call out to this would be, 
if you do see this in your workplace, if you are seeing divisions from outside of the workplace affecting you, oh, don't don't put your head in your sand because mm. it's not going to work. Yeah. Um, in my view, you need to start thinking now about how how you as an organisation can can heal some of the rifts that are going on. And if you're planning a major change that's going to affect people unequally, like an office move, which is always my favourite subject. Yeah, yeah. But any of those, then I would definitely be thinking about it. So yeah. that's my take. Cool. All right. So so that was the NPC um, view on this about uh, young people in divided communities. And they called out three things. They talked about the importance of shared space to give an opportunity for people to come together from divided groups. They talked about the importance of leadership, particularly representative leadership and leadership focused on increasing understanding. And they talked about the importance of training. Um, and it feels like all three of those things would be um, possible options for business uh, or other organizations that had divisions within them. So hopefully there's something interesting there. Um, the next one I want to touch on is um, by an American psychologist, someone called Tom Wolfe, who spent a lot of time looking at bringing together divided communities. As I said, this is things like um, towns where maybe a hospital's been taken away and how do you deal with that conflict? Or towns where maybe there are um, maybe uh, drug epidemics or whatever it happens to be, divisive um, instances in towns that, that lead to, to sort of community um, community polarization or separation. Separa- um, separation? That's not even a word, is it? No, Separ- it's not. Se- separation. I quite like separation there. So do I. Yeah, so it's less separation, everybody. All right. Um, anyway, so in, in looking at how to bring together disparate groups in uh, civil society in the areas that, that he's looked at, he's actually come up with six steps as a process. Um, and I just, I thought they were kind of interesting and it's kind of nice to have a model and I thought we could run through those and then you could let me know what you think. So his first one is he says, whatever you're doing in this type of situation, when you're trying to bring people together, he says, what you should do is make sure that you're including, including, wow, look at that, that you are including the people most affected by the problem, right? So all too often from sort of his experience, he says that you might be talking about a specific area, say uh, homeless people um, that lead to division in a community, but maybe you don't include the homeless people in your conversations. And, and the point is that you'll never really make progress unless you include the people who are most affected by a problem. So part one is including the people most affected. Then part two, he says that fostering true collaboration goes beyond simply sharing information. So what he's getting at here is that it really needs to be a collaborative approach. People need to have voices that matter. People need to be able to contribute towards decision making. People need to be able to help shape things. Um, It's not just about sharing information with people, but it's really um, to use a a phrase that that some of you might know, it's about giving people a share of voice and and giving people an opportunity to co-create things. So stage two is fostering true collaboration that goes beyond simply sharing information. Then point three that he talks about is, he says, focusing on a community's assets, not its deficits, right? So this is partly about looking for the things that people have, looking for the things that people have in common, looking for some positive building blocks from which you can build a relationship. So what are the good things that that a uh, divided community has remaining that it can use as a bit of a a point to come together around, maybe something to celebrate, something in common, and and strengths fundamentally that help bring people together. The next thing he says, point four, is that to bring divided communities together, it's important to create a democratic process in which everyone has a say. So with this, you know, the imposition of decisions on others isn't always helpful for bringing them together. But the closer you get towards a democratic process where everyone has a say, the more likely it is that you'll be able to bring people together 
um, and people will, will go with a sort of majority will. The, la uh, sorry, the fifth thing he says is that um, make sure that you should try and take action that involves social change. So to bring communities together, you need to introduce initiatives and, and undertake activities that try and change some of the underlying problems um, that have led to some of that division where possible. Um, and the last thing he says is that um, it's good to try and engage people at a spiritual level. Now, this one is one that maybe um, I'm not so certain about. The language doesn't really resonate with me so much um, with the spiritual level. But I can very much understand the desire to connect with people at an emotional level or at a values-based level. Or a philosophical level. Or a philosophical level. Yeah, I think that's right. So those are the six points that, that he talks about. I'll run through them again. So firstly, include the people most affected by a problem. Secondly, make sure that you foster true collaboration going beyond simply sharing information. Number three, focus on the assets that you have, not the deficits in the community. Number four, create a democratic process in which everyone has a say. Number five, take action that involves social change. And then number six, engage with people at a spiritual level or philosophical or values-based level in our words. So what do you think about that one? I like Tom. You like Tom? I like Tom. You like Tom? I like Tom because he's doing something really important. So yeah, yeah, his I'm, work is really... It's, his it's work's good work. really important. Really good work. He's... Um, because I think in his day job, he does lots of coalition building across communities yeah. and stuff, right? Yeah. Um, I think it's good. I, like you, I probably, the spiritual language doesn't sit terribly well with me. Um, but I do think that there is a, uh, a non-material world mm -hmm. approach that is useful. Sure. Um, and if you were to swap spiritual for the the community coming together rituals that spirituality right. sometimes brings then yes i'd be much more yeah. comfortable with it um and i and actually i would say i've seen good community work that does those things mm -hmm. and i've seen community work that doesn't do some of those things and it's been okay yeah but i what i haven't seen is good community work that doesn't do at least two or three of those yeah. things okay um so it makes sense to me i i I've, how much is it about bringing division together and how much is that just about community change? Don't know. Yeah, or team building almost, some of us Yeah, do. not sure. Um, I do, however, I am fundamentally a, a highly attached and with no evidence whatsoever completely behind him on focusing on a community's assets, not <laughs> deficits. You know what was funny? I was just about to point to that as you were chatting because I was one of You were going to guess, that's high. what I was going to talk yeah. about. Um, so for me, my experiences of working with young volunteers in London and developing their skills yeah. um, where they learnt to recognise each other's strengths yeah. and where they learnt to recognise their strengths to the team and awareness of weaknesses in the sense that they knew what they weren't strong at but where they learnt to celebrate their strengths was where they came into their own and they learnt to come together as a group and so for me it's totally unsurprising that that's also the true of looking at what you've got and I, and I also think if you reversed that statement how, what's the quickest way to divide a community? Yeah, talk Focus about all on the what stuff they haven't have. got. Yeah, talk easy. about all the stuff you haven't got. Talk about all the things that yeah. people don't have access to. Isn't the world to. unfair? All that kind and of stuff. And isn't the world unfair? Because what happens is they then it then becomes them against the world, but it yeah. also becomes them against each other. Yeah, and it's divisive. And why do you enough, have some of that? And... Not enough to go round. Absolutely. And so for me, if you flip all of his his ideas aside from the spiritual one on their head, you can kind of quite quickly see how division could either thrive or continue at very least if you don't do these things yeah. in the way that they're intended. See, I like Tom. Yeah. I was just going to say, one of the things that really stands out to me, I mean, I, the, the, focusing on assets is really high on my list as well. Yeah. I think that's great. Um, the other one that... that I you think know what the other, the other thing to learn from that is? What's that? From, and from my personal experience, don't ever take a job because you think it's the we, it's it, it, it's a job that requires you to be good at all the things you're not good at to see if you can. 
just just a private tip there. Yeah. Don't try and how fix your work? deficits. How did it work? I wasn't terribly happy. Yeah. That's that's how, what, how it worked. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, we should all focus on our assets. We've all got something to bring yeah, to the table, right? Yeah, a bit, right? It's a positive, positive message. Yeah. Um, the thing I was going to point out, or the thing that I was going to mention that I like is around his call out that you should include the people most affected by a problem. Yes. I, I think when you look at things from an organizational perspective, particularly in the merger or post-merger yeah. world, things like that, potentially what you do is you get all the people from the um, you know, the acquiring company that claims to be merging, sitting in a room saying, what are we going to do about all those other people, right? How come all those other people who aren't in this room aren't happy? I don't understand. Yeah. And that in itself is an encapsulation of the problem. So, so I will, I will go back yet again to my favorite musical, Hamilton. Okay, yes, yes, I remember that. Which I think I've told you, and there's a song in it. You've got to, I want to be in the room when it happens. Yeah, that's And right. if you don't have a voice in that room, you feel completely isolated and you don't yeah. feel represented. And that goes back to the first model as well, right? Yeah. It's all about representative leadership. Yeah. So you have to involve those people. Yeah, cool. All right, so there's a bit of commonality between those first two. I definitely think there's quite a lot of commonality, actually, in, in their approach and the way they're thinking about yeah. it. So hopefully some, some lessons in those for... Um, organizations or groups out there looking to bring people together. The last uh, sort of civil society idea that we're going to touch on is from this group, Better Angels. Um, and as I said, they're a US citizens organization working towards depolarizing America. So they're, a, um, you know, they're, they're an independent, non-political organization looking to, um, to bring people together. Um, and they do a range of interesting things, but they had a couple of ideas that I thought were kind of interesting that I just wanted to touch on and, and see what you think about. Um, so um, if we start out, they do something which they call a red-blue workshop. So um, again, this is about different political parties in America. So re red Republicans, blue Democrats um, is the, the language that they use. And this is a set of workshops that, that they've created to bring these groups together a little bit in divided communities. And, and this is based a little bit on family therapy. And as opposed to being a sort of general model uh, as um, proposed by you know, the NPC and um, Tom Wolfe's work, this is a specific activity that they've done. So I thought it was interesting to include it. Um, so Red Blue workshops that they do, they run seven hour workshops, right? That's a big commitment. And these are mixed groups. So they bring together roughly balanced mixed group of Democrats and Republicans. Um, and what they do is they use structured conversations and they really focus on exploring the lived experiences of individuals. So this is about their real life as opposed to things that they've heard through third parties or seen on the media and things like that. And the purpose of the workshops is to listen to the others um, and to have an opportunity to express your own views, but, but without trying to change anybody's mind during this process. So it's a listening exercise, it's a speaking exercise, but it's not a mind-changing exercise. And the outcome of these activities, uh, these workshops, the intended outcome at least, is an understanding of the other group's view, um, of how they've reached those views through their lived experiences and why that's sort of valid, and an understanding of those other people as human beings, again, through to some extent their lived experiences. So, so that's the overall purpose of the workshops and, and high level how they work. There are a couple of activities that they do in them that, that I just wanted to touch on. First one they call a stereotypes activity. Um, and I think it's interesting. So, so what you do here is you get the two divided groups. So you get, in this instance, all the reds on one side and all the blues on the other. And what you do is you get the groups to spend some time on their own brainstorming what they think the negative stereotypes that are told about them are, right? So for example, if we had, um, one of the examples they talk about is if you have a Democrat in there, 
a group of Democrats, they'll sit there and brainstorm and say, well, what is it that we think all the Republicans say about us that's a negative phrase? And they'll say things like, well, we just want to sponge off a state. Um, you know, we're, um, we're snowflakes, that kind of thing. Um, and they'll say, okay, well, that's the negative stereotype. So we've captured that. Then the next thing that they want to do is that they want to, in their groups, explain why that's not the case, right? So they want to, to think through and discuss in their groups a, a sort of a rebuttal and their view as to what the real state is. And then the last thing that they'll say is that, okay, well, what's the little germ of truth that hides behind this that we, we potentially can acknowledge? So the way that that would work from a democratic perspective in this instance would be um, the negative stereotype is that we're, you know, semi-socialist and want to just sponge off the state and have a government give us everything and have a really big government. The truth is that actually there are a huge amount of highly entrepreneurial, go-getting Democrats who are uh, actively driven and, and want to, to look after themselves and contribute to society. But the little germ of truth that might be out there is that we know that in reality there could be some people who want to game the system a little bit and take advantage of it. And that's just maybe what's happening a little bit in a few instances. So by having um, the in-group express all those things and go through that stereotyping activity, um, they get a chance to explore things, they get a chance to bring negativity out into the open, um, they get a chance to rebut it, but they also have a, an opportunity to accept a teeny little bit of it. And by, by expressing that in a way that it's viewed by the other groups, it, it's a bit of a bridge building activity. So, so that's their stereotypes activity that um, they do. And one other activity they do, they call a fishbowl activity. Um, a lot of you have probably heard of something like this. Fishbowling is a, a specific type of meeting. Uh, where you've got an inner circle of chairs, which is the bowl, and then an outer circle of chairs, which is the observers. Um, and the way it works in this instance is that what would happen is um, you'd get all of one group, so you'd get all the Republicans in the middle, um, and they'd be in the fishbowl, and then all the Democrats would sit around on the outside. Um, and the, the Republicans would just have a conversation in the middle of the bowl, talking about their lived experiences, their political views, their doubts, their uncertainties, their hopes, their aspirations, their reasons behind their beliefs. And the, um, the Democrats on the outside would just observe, right? There's no contribution. It's just an opportunity to, to witness firsthand the sort of inner conversations and workings of, of a, a group that is out of your own um, sort of domain of belief. So those are the activities. Um, and then they had one other thing up that the Better Angels talk about, which I quite like, which I'm not going to do in a lot of detail. But they talk about the emotional and intellectual transformation of depolarization. And they talk about the, the sort of emotional journeys that people go through. Um, and I just want to call these out because I think it's interesting. You know, the most polarized, the emotion is hatred. Then it goes from hatred to disdain, from, from disdain towards pity. Then from pity, it moves to basic respect. And then once you eliminate the polarization, you reach a stage where you have respect and admiration. And for me, that kind of tracks a journey of bringing together a divided group of people um, and ultimately building that sort of respect in admiration that supports a bit of cohesion. So, so that's kind of my takeaway from the stuff that Better Angels have done. Have you heard of Better Angels before? Have you Not that? since, um, so you, you were listening to a podcast, weren't you? Yeah. Someone else, because we listen to other podcasts too. Um, uh, Reasons to be cheerful, and they kind of shouted out to these guys, right? And, and I hadn't heard of it before. Uh, what do I think? I think the stereotypes and the fishbowl activity are excellent activities really well thought out on how to make people understand someone else's perspective however 
I'm not sure that depolarizing a country, I guess you've got to start somewhere and you start with the people who are prepared to spend seven hours in a workshop. But the reality that I feel looking around my country at the moment that's in the, in the grips of quite a big division is that in order to truly depolarize this country, there are, there are huge swathes of people, including people in my own social circle, that would never choose to go to anything like that. Cool. And therefore, that, that, that's just not... That's, it's an effective activity where there's a desire for unity or, or, or to bridge across the division. Yeah. And therefore, if you think about it in the context of a family, which it's based on family yeah. therapy, it makes total sense. So if I could get my family into that room, it'd probably be quite good. Yeah. Um, I think it makes sense if you're talking about a very small village or if you're talking about a ironically political party that's trying to find some you know common ground but yeah. there has to, but but like the political party there has to be an appetite for the common ground mm-hmm. um i also so I, I but i love the activities and i think they're good and i think organizations absolutely they are cracking activities particularly the stereotypes one yeah again around diversity and inclusion work yeah. again around uh, mergers yeah because it's uh, effectively it's about deconstructing your identity it's about explaining to people what your identity is to your to you yep. versus how other people have perceived or attached things to your identity yep. as an individual or a group. So yep. I love that. I yep. love the stereotypes one particularly. Fish bowling's good, um, but I it's think a bit it's, of a more standard thing. It's a it? more standard thing, and it, it and it works well if it's managed well. And you know what? We'll do another episode on meeting types or something like that at some point and talk about fish bowls as a type of meeting. Yes, we will. Um, the, however, the transformation piece, the emotional intellectual transformation of depolarization, so hatred, disdain, pity to basic respect, to respect and admiration. Don't know. Uh, do you know what? I actually, in order to get comfortable with that, I would have to go away and research what else is out there. Yeah. Because for me, it sounds like, um, maybe I'm just in a bad place for this stuff. Okay. But it just feels like they've made it into a process because that's the journey they want to see. So unlike the change curve, yeah. for example, which I feel has some inherent truth in it, even when I, when I read it, yeah, the evidence is there it, and yep. I've read the academic evidence and it makes sense yep. but also I connect with it yep. I look at this and I feel I feel a little bit like it might be wishful thinking but it may be really well backed up yeah, yeah, I don't, don't know. know so I'm going to have yeah. a look yeah. um, what I do think is true is that I suspect huge two, two issues one people may go through that journey for the people in that room so you may look at you, you know you may look at the ten yeah, people in yeah, the room yeah, and yeah. go well, oh I've they're actually okay ones, they're okay they? yeah, because yeah, yeah. in my experience that's what happens So change depolarization around um, major issues in society, in my experience, that's the first step is getting you to think that some of them are okay. And then over huge periods of time, huge periods of time that shifts to, I'm going to assume they're okay unless I see otherwise. Um, And I I was thinking particularly about um, the objections to gay marriage Mm -hmm. when I was thinking about this and how... I think there's a really interesting lesson to be learned from the Irish referendum. Yeah. Because I'm really anti-referendums generally yeah. because I don't think that's the political system and they don't support them. However, I have to say, and maybe it's because I, I like the, the outcome, but I have to say that the way that the Irish conducted themselves throughout that particular referendum, much more so than the other one, which was about abortion, mm-hmm. um, I thought was extraordinary. I thought, I thought the argument like from the both sides. listening groups as well, was that? In- yeah, and just the way, the way that they, they tried to understand what was holding people back sure. such that the narrative could be clear about what was coming out of it. Yeah. So I just thought, I just, 
I look at I look at the way it was written about afterwards, and it was never it was it, it was it was a victory for a moment. It didn't feel like it was a massive during win. Yeah. It was more about okay, we've made a decision, move on, and that to me was about the dialogue and the way it happened. Yeah. Um, so I guess in terms of lessons from that for organisations, have you got any thoughts? Um, I do. I, for me, the lesson I would take without having understood the academics behind the depolarization stuff would be around um, manager expectations. Mm -hmm. Because actually, um, basic respect might be all you ever get to. Well, <laughs> and that's yeah. okay. Yeah. That's better than <clears throat> hatred. Yeah. Um, I, pff, the, the lessons, yes. Do I, do I look around and think, I think one of the things I would say is there's got to be un, un, there's got to be behaviour that's unacceptable. Yeah. Um, in organisations, and I know that's not a very popular view. But, I, I, think, I um, think that's right. Yeah. I know that for some organisations, they they you know if they find out someone's a member of a hate group, for example, that will be a conversation about you know, this is not the culture. Um, and I think proactively managing that, I think you have to proactively manage your culture anyway and let people yeah. know what's what's unattractive. I think within managing mergers very specifically, um, I think it is, I think you have to understand it's a journey. And I think I, I'm, I'm tired, and it comes back to the change journey. Yeah. Right, the change curve. I'm tired of people trying to rush people through stuff. Yeah. Um, manage people's expectations and accept that it, it takes time. Yeah. Um, but, you know, Five years down the road, people have forgotten. Well, that's but it, they yeah. haven't in two, so yeah. don't assume they have. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, overall, I think there's some some pretty good stuff in there. Um, I think for me, one of the things that stands out across all of our models is about the humanity and about connecting with other people and, and about seeing your counterparties as humans as opposed to um, grouped individuals or grouped ideologies. So if you can break through some of that and actually look at people as people and understand life stories and in the words of a better angels their lived experiences and things like that then i think that's helpful for bridging some of the divides and i'd say that in organizations that's something that's that's not too difficult to do is humanizing the other people in divided groups. yeah and i actually if you're going to draw one thing from it you'd realize how much easier it is in organizations yeah because actually you know the ability to see people as human first you don't even have to deal with most of the stuff outside of the office yeah so even if you've got a division around things like brexit or in america we've got things around the wall and stuff yeah. like that you know, it's a lot easier because you're in a work environment. The, one th the other thing I would just say, though, is um, we've called this episode, or we were talking about this, as un unity yeah. and unity versus division. It's okay not to be unified on everything. Yeah. It's about being comfortable with Absolutely. not being unified sometimes. And, yeah. and I'm just holding, I'm picking up myself on that. Like, I'm conscious that, I, for example, in my personality, I have quite high levels of agreeableness. Mm -hmm. And that makes me want to bring people to agree. Yeah. I like it when everyone agrees on stuff. And so it's really important for me to remember that actually it is okay for everyone to disagree as long as everyone's comfortable with that. Yeah. So it's a lesson for me too. Cool. Well, it sounds like, um, you know, we, we started that conversation uh, thinking about the fact that, that Brexit's a bit of a depolarizing or a dividing um, phenomenon that's happening, happening in the UK um, and trying to see what organizations are doing to bring divided groups together. So we looked at NPC. Um, the new philanthropy capital and some of the proposed models on how to bring divided um, communities together, young people in divided communities together, had some lessons from that. We then looked at Tom Wolfe's um, Power of Collaborative Solutions, looking at the six-step process around bringing together divided groups, uh, divided communities. And then we looked a little bit at some of the Better Angel stuff 
um, around how they're bringing together divided groups uh, from a political perspective in the US and, and had a few lessons from there. Have you got any um, any final thoughts on the overall piece that we're doing? or Just I think that although we're doing this from a point of view that the world feels quite divided at this point and particularly yeah. relevant here in the UK with Brexit happening, um, this is for all ages, right? This The world will consistently have groups of people who disagree or who feel division and who have to live together or work together. Yeah. So the lessons, therefore, that we can learn by looking at what other sectors are doing, other countries are doing, I think are valuable. And I yeah. think it's a really important thing. And I, I applaud the people that are doing work in this space. But I also think organisations need to do a bit more. Yeah. Cool. All right. Well, I guess that's kind of it from us. Um, if people want to get in touch, they can do it in the usual way, right? They can. They can tweet us at tweet the Wow us Podcast. At the Wow Podcast. They can go to our website and they can sign up for our Wow Mail. Wow Mail. Uh, we're also on Insta, Facebook, LinkedIn, etc. Do come and say hello and tell us what you think. Yeah. Cool. All right, guys. Well, I guess that's it from us. That's the end of this episode. Uh, we will catch you soon. So, it's goodbye from me. And it's goodbye from me as well. Bye, guys. Hi. Thanks for listening to this episode of the World of Work podcast. To learn more about what we do, please check out our website, www.worldofwork.io, where you can read some great articles, learn more about the seminars and courses that we deliver, or even support us if you wish through our Patreon page. That's www.worldofwork.io. Thank you.